Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It is hour two of mornings with Carmen. Here on Faith Radio, the Faith Radio Network. If you missed hour one, you might be interested in uh, hearing conversations and commentary about things happening in the headline news today, particularly the speech that President Joe Biden gave last night um, and uh, and country music. That would be another reflective highlight, I think, of the last hour. All right. So you're growing the faith, growing your faith verse of the day comes from Matthew chapter six, verses 19 to 21. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this got me thinking, have you ever been robbed? Has anybody ever stolen your stuff? Jim and, uh, and Eliana and Matthew were uh, camping in Colorado. This is a couple of years ago now. I don't know. Maybe it was last summer. It's hard for me to keep track. Um, they were out there uh, having a great time. And um, they had you know, their whole camp set up at a campsite. And they piled into the truck one morning to uh, drive to a trailhead. And they didn't put their quote-unquote valuable things back in the truck. They left them in their camp. And uh, at the end of the day, tired and exhausted, they were looking forward to um, some soup that I had made and sent with them. And it was safely stored away and secured in their, um, you know, big fancy cooler. Those ones that, like, keep things cold, actually keep things cold. And, uh, and they arrived back at their little campsite to discover that not only had their soup been stolen, but their pots and pans and, frankly, all of their food. Now, the people didn't take the cooler, and I suspect that it was because it's so big that it doesn't, like, fit in the average car. But all their food had been stolen, and their ability to, uh, to make food, their pots and pans, their kitchen utensils. And um, I would say that this is certainly the first experience in the life of Matt and Ellie of being robbed, of something being stolen. But it gave a good opportunity to talk about the needs of others, to talk about what might motivate somebody, particularly to steal food, um, to be thankful that they hadn't stolen um, the tent, that they hadn't stolen the sleeping bags, that they hadn't stolen um, the cooler, right? I mean, let's be thankful for the things that um, were not taken, and let's be uh, considering the needs of the person who, um, who took them. It didn't, it hasn't stopped them from remembering this, however, as a really like negative experience in terms of how they felt um, and the need that it left them in. So I'm wondering if you have been robbed, if you have an experience of things being stolen from you and how that leaves you feeling and what were they? Do you even remember? I mean, you know, soup is a pretty insignificant thing to steal when it comes right down to it. Um, And have you ever been robbed of your joy? Because that, for me, when I think about things, I mean, I have had money stolen. I have had things stolen out of my car. Like, I'm I'm a person who has been, quote unquote, robbed. 
But when I think about the things that um, most that I feel most strongly about and, and what I hear myself saying from time to time, when I try to do something out of kindness and generosity and someone resists that, they, they try to not receive um, what is being offered in a spirit of genuine, um, I mean, genuinely, I'm, I'm seeking to bless. And I will say, please don't rob me of my joy of this blessing. Please don't rob me of this. And when I hear myself now in, in reflecting on this passage, when I hear myself say this, that's because that's where my heart is. So where, where is your heart and what would you feel robbed of if somebody prevented you from doing something you genuinely felt led by God to do? And then let's not be robbing one another of, um, of that joy today. Let's don't rob somebody who tries to bless you. Receive the blessing. So there you go. That's one of my reflections. I mean, I think, you know, the obvious teaching of the passage, don't store up things here on earth, you know, hiding, hiding your resources away in barns that could be used um, to bless others. Like, let's, let's be sharing the wealth. I mean, I think that's a, the obvious teaching of this passage. But maybe the less obvious uh, current underneath it is let's be giving generously and joyfully and let's not be robbing one another of the joy of giving. Hey, we got a we got a really exciting hour planned here, and we're going to lead off with a conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. One of the things we're going to talk about is: Can you hear the sound of the horn of Gondor? Mm-hmm. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Holtz is here, and I am thinking that he probably remembers the days of bliss. Mm-hmm. Hey, Adam Holtz, um, when you live forever, it's hard to forget the pains of the past. It's also sometimes hard to remember the goodness, the light, and the beauty of the days of bliss. Talk with us about what I'm talking about, the Lord of the Rings and the Rings of Power. We are talking about the Lord of the Rings and the Rings of Power, which is a new series on Amazon that uh, in the days and months leading to its release today, uh, it's been pretty controversial. And it's been controversial because uh, when they were first getting started, they had all the actors and actresses sign contracts that hinted at the fact that they might be shooting explicit scenes, a la Game of Thrones. uh, And people were up in arms about that. And, you know, do we really need to see naked hobbits? I think the answer to that question is self-evident. We don't. No, No, we don't. Uh, And I'm happy to report, at least so far in the first two episodes, uh, this is rated TV-14, which is roughly the television equivalent of a PG-13 movie. And so uh, we have some violence that we have to deal with that is of a piece with what we saw in the Lord of the Rings movies. But uh, as for the story... um, the Lord of the Rings trilogy that we all know and love is set in the third age of Middle Earth. And this takes place in the second age of Middle Earth. And it is the backstory essentially on the creation of Sauron's one ring, the one ring of power, but also how he tricks the elves uh, into creating the nine other rings of power that are not quite as powerful, but 
are still uh, magical uh, artifacts to be reckoned with, if you will. So before this even, there has been a battle with a bad guy named Morgoth. Morgoth has been vanquished uh, in the first age of Middle-earth. And Sauron was kind of his lieutenant, and he's kind of gone into hiding. And if you're like, man, this sounds a lot like the Lord of the Rings, you're right, right? We've seen this story before. Uh, he's been gone for centuries, and everybody thinks, you know, you know, he probably just went off to retirement somewhere. But Galadriel, the uh, soon-to-be uh, elven queen that we see in Lord of the Rings, is suspicious. And so... This is really about her attempt to get people to wake up to the reality that Sauron is still out there. And if you're if you're wondering about the age thing, um, Galadriel is like literally thousands of years old by the time we get to her in Lord of the Rings because elves mm -hmm. are immortal. The only way they can die is if they're killed in battle or if they surrender their magical elvish immortality for the sake of being with humans, as we saw Arwen contemplating uh, in uh, Return of the King. So, um, yeah, the other part of the controversy was how much do they mess with Tolkien? How much do they tamper? And the answer is quite a bit. I'd say probably 50% of what we see here is based on the broad strokes of some of Tolkien's other writings, and probably 50% of it is totally made up. And uh, apart from that, the early reviews have been pretty mediocre. Uh, just, eh, it's just okay. It's not yeah. it's not going to raise your soul in the same way that, that the original trilogy did, or even The Hobbit did. I know a lot of people didn't like the three Hobbit movies. I kind of loved them, uh, but I'm in the minority. So if you're really a Tolkien purist, this is probably just going to make you mad. But at least so far, it's not wandering into really nasty, explicit territory. And I hope that, that they hold that line. Uh, you know, we got Game of Thrones and the new one, House of the Dragon, for that. Evil does not sleep, Galadriel says. Sleep. It, it waits. waits, and in the <laughs> moment of our complacency, it blinds us. There are some good yeah. lines. There are some good lines. That hey, is a Adam, good line. That is a good line. Hey, um, we're going to talk uh, here in just a moment with Adam Holtz about um, an opinion piece written by Ashley Judd. It appears in the New York Times, The Right to Keep Private Pain Private. How much do we need to know? How much do we have a right to know? And how much do very public people um, have a right to keep private? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. This is for the one who drives the big rig Up and down the road For the one out in the warehouse Continuing our conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. Um, Ashley Judd, a very public fig figure. Naomi Judd, an even maybe more public figure. Um, Ashley Judd writing in the New York Times. April 30th, 2022 was the most shattering day of my life. My beloved mother, Naomi Judd, 
who had come to believe that her mental illness would only grow worse, never better, took her own life. The trauma of discovering and then holding her laboring body haunts my nights. As my family and I continue to mourn our loss, the rampant and cruel misinformation that has spread about her death and about our relationships with her stalks my days. The horror of it will only worsen if the details surrounding her death are disclosed by a law that generally allows police reports, including family interviews from closed investigations to be made public. Um, Adam, this um, this opinion piece by Ashley Judd in The New York Times is absolutely worth everyone's read. It's also worth the consideration of those of us who are Christians when we think about how we comfort those who mourn um, and how their trauma continues and how they are re-victimized often um, by the very system, systems designed to, um, permec- to protect and promote justice. So talk yeah. with us about the right to keep private pain private and um, and this very public conversation about the Judd family. Yeah, you know, I, reading this article, I, I you can't help but just have your heart ache um, for Ashley, for the Judd family, as she talks about being with her mother as she died. And, and from the context of this article, it sounds like she hadn't even passed away no, before she, the, she poli- yeah, the police correct. were there, um, you know, interviewing her and... One of the things that that I thought was really interesting was how she said we're sort of conditioned to just tell the police what they ask, you know, what they're, you know, to answer their questions. And she said, in this moment, it didn't think to, it, she didn't think to to ask questions like, and I'm quoting from the article now, is your body camera on? Am I being audio recorded? Where and how will what I'm sharing be stored, used, and made available to the public? Um, especially in something that is, I, I would say, just about as deeply personal as it gets. Um, those are, are really terrific questions. And as you said, the fact that this information is now beyond her family's ability to have a say over is something that, that re-traumatizes her. Uh, potentially and her family. Uh, and so she is really working to ensure that information like this can be kept from the public. And um, I think my, my two sort of parallel thoughts here are, are this. I think that we live in a rubbernecking culture. Uh, you and I have talked before and I have quoted him before, but Edgar Allan Poe talked about the spirit of perverseness, which I think is a very apt you know, really phrase describing our human tendency to want to look at things that are horrific. Like, why do we, why do we want to rubberneck at accidents when we drive by them? There's, there's some part of us that wants to see the horror. And, and I think Poe rightly understood there's something perverse about that. That's not the way things should be. And I think that that comes into play here that, we have a curiosity about the details of what happened with somebody like Naomi Judd that's none of our business, right? And mm-hmm. and there needs to be protection for victims. Now, I will say very gently on the other side that I'm in a small group with two police officers. And we regularly have conversations about things that turn up in the news disparaging the police. And they'll say... And here's the real story that the press won't give you. Or here's the reason why that 
rule is in place, or here's the reason why it's important to think about it from a different perspective. So I'm not a legal expert. I can't disagree with anything that Ashley says here, but I, I would also say there are probably some compelling public reasons why this law is in place. And so I think that we need to balance responding to the emotional plea that she's making here with understanding, well, what was the original purpose of laws that, you know, want to make this information public? And I don't know all the reasons for those things. So Mm -hmm. um, I think that it's easy to just to respond to the pathos here, right? I mean, this is a horrific story on every possible level. And my heart goes out to Ashley. And I suspect that uh, that she's probably right. But I also will admit, I don't know what I don't know about why this law was passed. And I do think we need to take a step back and at least consider those things as well. Yeah. Um, I, I would just, uh, I'll summarize her appeal for privacy um, by her own words. We have asked the court to not release documents, not because we have secrets. We have always been an uncannily open family, which explains part of the public's love for my mother. Folks identified with her honestly about her mistakes, admired her for her ability to survive hardship and delighted in her improbable stardom. We ask privacy because in death, oh, because, wait, let's say that again. We ask because privacy in death is a death with more dignity. And for those left behind, privacy avoids heaping further harm upon a family that is already permanently and painfully altered. So um, let me just say um, this is Suicide Awareness Prevention Month. It is September. If you or someone that you know is considering suicide, please contact 988. It's the new three-digit Suicide and Crisis Lifeline 988. Mm. You can also just text 988. Or go to 988lifeline.org. Okay, Serena Williams and the U.S. Open. Like, uh, first of all, I want to have a conversation about how this became a literal primetime event um, here and around the world. And how the beginning of it looks all the world like a... um, like a uh, like a title fight that you'd see on pay-per-view it's it, it's a little bit bizarre yeah well obviously serena williams is an absolute icon and ambassador for her sport and this is sort of her swan song and i think everyone would probably admit that serena is is past the absolute peak of her powers and yet she's finishing with movie like strength right i mean just yeah powering through to the end and so it becomes you know it sort of feels like like you said like muhammad ali in his later days you know or any any aging sports icon who they have been dominant for so long but now because of father time or maybe mother time in Teresa in serena's case um you know they're not favored, and yet they're they're now the the unlikely underdogs, and we can root for them in a new way. And I think all of that psychology is at play in this story. And we love drama, right? We love, you know, the the absolute master becoming the underdog. There is a Hollywood kind of element here that is impossible to ignore. And so I think I think that's what's going on here. Um, what, what would you say, Carmen? Yeah, I think um I th- I think we love um uh we love success stories. We love improbable heroes. She is yeah. a strong magnificent woman who has yeah. 
um, has done things that other people cannot and probably will never do again. Um, and she's iconic. And so I think it's I, I'm not surprised um, that right. the, they've sort of turned the U.S. Open into a made for TV event. But I also do wonder <laughs> on the you know, at a competitive level, how fair is it to her opponents that I mean, she literally like they they shut down the lights when she's announced and she comes into this Queen Latifah. I mean, it's like and she comes out like Muhammad Ali in this right. um, diamond encrusted uh, <laughs> outfit that is, I yeah. mean, it, it's it, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty OK. Well, we can leave that there. You guys have <laughs> some great stuff posted at pluggedin.com that I don't want people to miss. Um Check out the blog. Uh, We're tired of agendas in our movies. That is really excellent. Um, uh, Focus on the family at focusonthefamily.com. There's also a great resource on entertainment, worldview, and your family. And again, um, back at the pluggedin.com blog, uh, a great piece on social media etiquette. So too much to cover today, but so much there. Go to pluggedin.com for all of it. Adam Holtz, thank you so much for joining us. You bet. Thanks, Carmen. Great to have you. All right. Um, hey, I got a surprise guest in the next half hour. Yep. One of my friends. This is uh, Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Surprise guest. Um, Shelly Komachevsky is my friend. She heads up uh, major donor relations for Josh McDowell. And she's a mom with a story to share about how God has been tending to her grief following the sudden death of her teenage daughter, Emily, last December. So in just a moment, my um, in-studio conversation with my dear friend, Shelly Como. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Um, I have a uh, surprise guest this morning. Shelly Komachevsky is uh, in town at my house. Um, we're going to spend the weekend together just uh, enjoying God's good creation and uh, and time together as friends. And she is willing to share with us this morning about what God's doing in her life. So, um, Shelly, first, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. There are moments... There are moments when life is changed forever. You have experienced one of those forever changing moments um, in the death of your sweet daughter, Emily. So um, I'm going to just tee this conversation up this way. When the unthinkable happens, what is our response? Well, I think one of our first responses, honestly, is whose fault is this? I think that's the generation we live in, but it's also, we see that in Scripture. In John 11, when the disciples and Jesus saw the blind man and the disciples said, hey, Jesus, who sent? Did yeah. he send? Whose fault is this? So first question we ask. And Jesus answered in a pretty unique way to the disciples. And I think he's still answering that to us. He says, this man was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed. That's a hard thing that this, this challenging situation is for the glory of God to be displayed But I think what it's saying is that there's an eternal perspective to our present reality. Um, When you when you think about 
like the reality of Emily, right? Mm -hmm. The gift of Emily Mm -hmm. to you, um, the life she lived, um, the death she died, the life she lives anew forever and ever, right? The eternal has to be brought to bear in the everyday or you can't survive this. Well, that's where our hope is found. Our hope is that the Lord wastes nothing. And even in the unthinkable, this present reality is a momentary blink. And God is doing something eternally. And so when I still get, you know, last yesterday would have been her 18th birthday, as you know. And we offered some challenges online for teens who were remembering her life. And she lived boldly with eternal purpose. So we came up with all these kind of fun, crazy things to remind them. And just story after story of how their faith has grown. And kids who came to Jesus for the first time since Emily's been gone. And watching God's goodness in an unthinkable situation is our hope. So while this present reality is very difficult, the eternal purpose is where our hope and our trust can be found. So I just think in those dark days, you know, God is saying, beloved, I'm here and I'm doing something eternal. Trust me and focus on my goodness because it's on display, even in the unthinkable. So if you want to, um, if you want to check out what, um, what Shelly's talking about in terms of the celebration of Emily's 18th birthday online. You got to go to Instagram and follow the hashtag Emily Como, K-O-M-O 18. So Emily Como 18 is the hashtag online. You can see these, um, these fun challenges that Emily's friends, um, you know, really set out for each other and the way they're doing it. And, um, and Shelly and I took one of the challenges yesterday and participated in it, and, <laughs> and we're going to do another one today. So, um, so there you go. Um, the Lord is confirming his presence, his concern, his care, his love. Um, God is sovereign. He's doing something. Um, he, he's worthy of our trust, and yet in the midst of it, in the midst of it, all of that is honestly really hard. Oh, it's incredibly hard. How do we fight to keep our eyes on Jesus and knowing he's good when tears and snot are running down our face? I mean, that's the reality. And so when we go back to what our response when the unthinkable happens, you know, the first question, whose fault is this? I think the second one that we ask if we're really honest is, Lord, why didn't you stop this? Mm. Lord, Mm. you are sovereign over all. Your word could have changed this. This is not too hard for you. You could do this. You, yeah. you gave her life. You could give her life again. Interesting enough, John 11, those very questions are asked by Martha and Mary mm. when their brother Lazarus is dead. And so, um, again, let's look at Scripture to see our response it, or Jesus's response to this. So Mary and Martha send word that Lazarus is sick. The one you love, Jesus, is sick. Come and save this. And Jesus says to his disciples, this illness is for the glory of God. This is happening so that the Son of Man might be glorified. And Scripture says, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and so he waited. That's That's, so hard. That's so hard. He loved loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and so he waited. Like, that is so hard. Yeah. I mean, there were days, right? There were days between. Days between. And so one of the most tender scenes in all of Scripture to me, and there's so many good ones, it's not the ultimate one, but one of my favorite is Martha hears Jesus is coming and being Martha, which I so identify with, 
She goes running out of the home, leaves a house full of people to meet Jesus on the road. And Jesus meets her at her deepest point of grief. And I think that Martha's grief is twofold. It's the situation of Lazarus being dead. But it's also the fact that Jesus didn't come. One eye is watching at Lazarus die and one eye is on the road going, Jesus, where are you? We sent for you. I think we very much all can experience that and feel that deeply. So Jesus meets Martha on the road for her grief of Jesus's lack of response and in her grief in Lazarus' death. And Jesus gives her two things. And I want us to be encouraged. And I've held on to these things and, and have wrestled with these things well. First of all, he gave her himself most beautiful thing he had to give her. He said, Martha, I am. Mm. Bold, bold statements from the Old Testament. I am. Martha, remember who I am. I am King of Kings. I am Lord of Lords. This is not above me. This is not outside of my control. This didn't happen when I was closing my eyes. Martha, remember who I am. I hold this all together, but more importantly, I hold eternity together. And he says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though this situation's happening, know there's death and pain here. Yet shall he live. Whoever believes in me shall never die. Martha, you are so consumed with your loss here and now. And I care about that deeply, but I care more about eternity. I care more about our internal perspective. So I think in our deepest points of grief, Jesus is still answering the same way. Our questions are honest disciples ask them. And I think he's still meeting our deepest point, pain points in the same way, more of him and eternal perspective to our present reality. So one of my deep prayers this past year has been, Lord, don't let me miss what you are doing because I'm so focused on my loss. And I want to see your glory in this. I want to see your goodness in this. I want to trust your character. And I want to be reminded that though the pain is great, it's momentary and eternity waits. We're talking with uh, Shelly Komachevsky. Um, she is she's sharing with us um, some of the things that she has learned from the Lord just since December when her sweet Emily um, suttered, su- suffered a sudden cardiac event at work and um, and died. There were these days in between, much like there were for Mary and Martha, um, there were these days in between waiting and hoping that, um, that, that God would restore and re-enliven and give life. And, um, and then Shelly and Ed had to make the decision to let Emily go and be with the Lord. Um, and so these are parents who have stood in a, um, in a moment of deep grief. And Shelly is just willingly sharing with us from her heart today um, about how we respond when the unthinkable happens and what it means to run to the Lord, even when it seems like he showed up late, um, and ask honest questions and be willing to have uh, you know our hearts and minds open to what God's doing in terms of his eternal purpose in the midst of our present reality. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We're going to continue our conversation with Shelly Como in just a moment. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at myfaithradio.com. 
or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Uh, I have my friend Shelly Komachevsky here with me. Um, you will remember praying for Shelly and her family um, in at the end of uh, end of November, beginning of December, um, as we were praying with them um, following a, a, a crisis that their daughter Emily experienced, and um, and from which she passed from this life into life eternal. Emily was a radiant Christian um, with a beautiful ministry of her own, um, really just a, a light. Um, and, and so it was really hard to understand why God would take one such as this. Like, what is going on here? And, uh, and you know, Shelley is sharing with us that she asked the same very honest question that Martha asked when her brother Lazarus passed, you know, Lord, if you had been here, like, why didn't you stop this from happening? Why didn't you show up and handle this situation? And so uh, I'm asking Shelly now those same things. Um, you know, Shelly, when you think about where you could have run or the resources you could have you could have sought, you know, you did what Martha did, which was, you know, you you called on the Lord, you sought the Lord, you ran to the Lord. You ask the hard questions of the Lord. Can you just talk about that from your own experience? So when the unspeakable happens and you're just stunned and just like, okay, take the next step. And I don't know, reminded of the words, not in the moment, but later in John 6, where, the, where, where else would we go? You know, the disciples had watched Jesus feed the multitudes. He had watched him heal people. And on this beautiful high, they're like, we're in, we're in. We get that. And praise God for the beautiful moments of life. And then things started getting hard. And Jesus started to talk about drinking my blood and eating my flesh. And, and people started walking away going, these things are too hard. And Jesus looks at the disciples and says, are you going? Are you going to go too? And they responded with a very interesting point and said, where else would we go? Only you have the words of truth. You have eternal perspective on our present reality. And I just think that there's so many of us when we feel so deeply, we live in a culture who tries to distract us from the pain with substance abuse or just mind-numbing Netflix or, or so getting lost in social media or there's so many things to numb instead of leaning deeply and go, Lord, Lord, are you at work here? And I think some of our biggest questions, Lord, are you good? Because this doesn't feel good. But I know your person, your character, your nature is good. Can I trust you in this? And I remember tears. I was just sobbing one night. My family was asleep and I, I'm pacing the floor trying to figure out how I'm going to announce to a, a world that Jesus took Emily home after all that prayer. And I remember pacing going, Lord, can I trust you? Do you have me? Then let's go. Let's go. Let's get up and let's do this. Because if you're doing something eternal here, I don't want to miss it because of my pain. And I was so worried about all these young kids. I'm like, no one is deconstructing on my watch. Not on this watch. Lord, you are good. And somehow 
you help us tell the story in such a way that you are good and you're trustworthy and you're glorious. And that was hard fought, but it was so right. I shared with you all um, after attending Emily's funeral that it was um, just one of the very handful of things in my life that have felt like an absolute honest proclamation of the gospel to a generation that um, wonders whether or not God is and if God is, if God is good and if God is and God is good, then why do bad things happen and why is the world such a mess and why am I in so much pain and why is my family broken and on and on and on. And um, the uh, the testimony to the resurrection power of Jesus and the reality of God's presence and power um, at the at the service of resurrection, I even hesitate to call it a funeral. Uh, wow. Yeah, the uh, the service of resurrection um, celebrated around the life of of Emily Como. Um, you know, I shared with you guys here that it was uh, it was powerful. It was a powerful experience in my life, um, and so uh, that seems maybe a little strange, Shelley, to um, to hear and acknowledge. Like I, I that from the perspective of you know, a friend, a, a watcher, a come alongsider, which is what I am in all of this. Um, God did powerfully glorify himself in Emily's death. Um, and I'm wondering if maybe there's even, you know, without reference to their name, but maybe there is somebody that God brings to mind that you know is going to spend eternity with him because of the death of Emily. Oh, absolutely. Oh, we have so many stories, uh, Kids reaching out. So one of the things, let me take a slight detour. One of the things we did, which was amazing, is we had a matte black cat. Um, Poster board? Um, uh, what she's buried in. Cactus. Oh, Cast. Oh, Thank you. Not a cactus. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a black one of those and a matte black and we had silver Sharpies. And the kids or parents or teachers could come and leave. As Emily had impacted their life, they could leave a final note to her on her casket. And it was uh, one of her friends posted a picture of it and put it on uh, social media and said, literally, the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And it was filled, just filled and covered with people's memories. And one young man on there said, "Um, Emily, I've never met you. I came to support my sister. I don't have a faith until today. And so that was just one person who came to a funeral. And since then, hearing kids say, I trusted Jesus for the first time, or this is the first time that I ever took my faith seriously, because we're confronted with eternity. And 18-year-old kids shouldn't be wrestling with some of these big things. And the biggest personality they knew was suddenly gone. What do we do? Like, so one of the things we had as kind of the tagline for her life and death, and we had stickers and magnets, and uh, it said, life is short, eternity is long, make it count. And a lot of kids are saying, how do we do that? How do we make it count? And so that's what we get the privilege of doing and love that we just had the chance to talk about that today is yeah, focus on Jesus and realize that our present reality, that there's an eternal purpose to it. Remind us, um, remind us, if you will, um, 
uh, about not missing mm. what God is doing because our pain is so real and so great. Lord, if, if, if you're good, if I can trust you, which I know I can and I know you are, then you are at work in my present suffering in a way that I cannot begin to see or fathom and that there's an eternal purpose to my present reality. And so if that's true, Lord, my deepest prayer is don't let me miss what you're doing because I'm so focused on my pain and loss. But somehow, and that doesn't mean not struggling. That doesn't mean not crying. That doesn't mean not missing. You can't love that deeply and not miss someone and grieve that deeply. But it means that I always have a sense, Lord, that you're at work here and I don't want to miss it. So somehow, Lord, support me and carry me through this in a way that makes you look good and draws people to a good God that is trustworthy. So I don't want to miss what you're doing eternally by focusing on my loss when the unthinkable happens present. That's Shelly Komachewski. Um, she is my friend, um, and I am so grateful for her presence and the gift of her in my life. Life is short. Eternity is long. Make it count. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Hey, thank you so much for sharing your time today. Um, this Labor Day weekend, let's be um, let's be saying thank you to God for the work we have to do, the good works He has prepared in advance for us. That everything that we do, we do unto the Lord. Let's be thanking people who um, whose labor makes our life like possible and and easier and. Um, blessed. Let's be sure we say thank you this weekend to to those, and um, and let's be um, considering those whose work on this earth is done, right? Who go rest high on that mountain, and let's be thinking about their families this weekend too. Thank you so much for the precious gift of your time today and sharing it together. If you want to share, um, you know this this program or a particular segment with somebody, you can do that at myfaithradio.com after the podcast is posted. You should download um, the Faith Radio app so that you can more easily access the podcast anytime and everywhere. And if you haven't already done so, let me really encourage you to sign up for Susie Larson's online study of her brand new book, Strong in Battle, Why the Humble Will Prevail. Um, So you need to do that in just the next couple of days um, before that registration deadline on the 5th of September. So you do that as well at MyFaithRadio.com. Let me just... um, take a moment here to say thank you to my producer, Paul Perot, um, without whose labor and partnership in this, uh, we couldn't, we, we wouldn't have the experience that we have each and every day. And so, Paul, I thank you for your work as done unto the Lord and this shared labor of this program. Appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Lots of folks laboring here at Faith Radio to make all of this happen. So when we get to our fall fundraiser in just a couple of weeks, I want you to um, think about uh, the way this blesses your life and maybe the way you want to help us continue doing what we're doing each and every day at MyFaithRadio.com. Have a great Labor Day weekend and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. 
That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.